Don't argue with fools because people from a distance can't tell who is who. That's the lyric. Like if you get yourself into arguments with stupid people, you you both look stupid. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. You've tuned into the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Two guys and occasional guests talking about the news in Division Three football. You know, Division Three, the one that doesn't give scholarships but has two hundred and forty-seven. Sorry, two hundred and forty-eight programs now in 2020 the one that has the same champions all the time except for this year when it was a red december instead of a purple one coming off of a uh, fantastic end to the 2019 season and taking you into 2020 i'm pat coleman the executive editor of d3football.com i'm keith mcmillan the former player longtime co-host keith is still when i look at the front page of d3 football other than you know obviously the most recent famous news about the Karras's leaving Mount Union, which we will talk about extensively coming up in a few minutes on this podcast. I'm just, you know, I, I kind of smile because it's just nice to see, even though it's been a month now, new faces on, you know, the list of national champions getting all of those headlines at the end of the season. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm a little surprised you went with Red December since the headline was was better off red, yeah. right? Uh, when when North Central won the championship in Shenandoah, Texas, uh, before Christmas, which is one of my favorite things about the D3 season is that it's it's uh, over and done with, and we're all uh, happy, and then we we're we're exhausted from the season. We go home to our families, spend the holidays with our families. New Year's passes by, and then you know a week goes by, and you're back at work, and and then like Clemson and LSU are playing for a championship like and uh or who I don't even know who was in the the FCS but like it, it feels so distant from when we were done with the season so it's glad to be uh or I'm glad to be back with you on the podcast because a lot has happened since North Central won it all I think um the the not just the the Karras is stepping down but the number of coaches who who have hung it up over this offseason take this job and shove it and then the outlook going into next season with where where north central uh, has some key parts back but not all the key parts so will they be the favorite you know we could talk about that a little bit later on but i don't like to judge i guess and say like i enjoy seeing different teams win it because i don't want to imply that i don't enjoy it when mount union or whitewater or Mary Harden Baylor wins because those to see a, a team win it, every team is, has has a bunch of fresh faces. And so even though Mount Union has won it a bunch of times, there's always some guy on the team. There's always some guy on on Mary Harden Baylor or Whitewater who hasn't done it before or didn't have a big role or who emerges during the playoffs as a key participant when they you know barely did anything all season or they rally back from injury. And we had all that in, in this North Central story. But I thought the cool part was just, one, seeing a program that had been on the cusp so many times and it had so many playoff exits that uh, that ended in disappointment to finally break through. And then just everything we learned about them over the course of the season. I mean, part of the joy of the offseason podcast is to learn how to run a successful program. We'll, we'll talk to a couple of coaches who are who are uh, have made changes and, and are trying to bring some programs up. Some of the things we picked up from Jeff Thorne and from North Central over the over the course of the Stag Bowl run, I thought really stood out. We've been doing this 20 years, and I, le- I learned or heard things I'd never heard before, like how a team 
prioritizes the offensive line and they sit in first class and they eat first at dinner and, and they get it just seemed like such a brilliant recruiting strategy that I'm surprised we had not talked about it before that 2019 stag bowl run. And so, yes, we're in the offseason, which means we don't have categories. We don't have games to run down, but what we do in the offseason on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, if you're new to us, if you started picking us up this season, is uh, we'll go back from twice a week ugh, to once a month, a much more relaxing pace, and uh, our goal is to have a little bit more long-form content. We uh, sit down with uh, usually three coaches or three uh, people of interest, shall we say, in Division Three football, to have, yeah, a, a, a more extended conversation about, you know, what's the state of the program in, and those sorts of things. So in this podcast, uh, we're going to spend uh, one of those segments, this podcast, talking about everything that's going on at Mount Union. And uh, Adam Turr, who's been writing the Around the Nation column on D3Football.com for the past several years, will join us to talk about that. And then we'll also chat with Aaron Keene. He's the new head coach at Washington University. Uh, he came to Wash U where he's an alum. He comes back from Division One, where he had been the uh, offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan, a D1 FBS school, played in a bowl game this past season. And then we're going to talk with Jordan Neal. He is the head coach at McMurray, and he is a guy who played across town in Abilene, Texas. At Harden Simmons, he is going into his second season at McMurray. So come back in just a minute, or really just don't go away, because we'll have all of that coming up in just a moment. And I'd like to take this time to mention that the uh, D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently available for sponsorship. Like I just said, we're going to be doing one of these podcasts a month from now through August, and then we'll be back on the multiple uh, podcasts a week run in uh, the fall of 2020, although I'm not looking to think about that right now. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers right now in Division Three football, and these are the times where the uh, where a significant proportion of our audience, higher than usual, is coaches and the people who are assistant coaches, people who make decisions in Division Three football. You know, if you're someone who installs turf, there are always going to be people who need your service in Division Three. You're upgrading a scoreboard. You know you've got uh, you've got helmets that you want people to use, or uh, refurbishing a locker room. These are the times where you want to reach those coaches, and uh, you can do that right here on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. This there's nowhere else to really reach coaches this way during the off season. Division Three coaches. So think about it and uh, drop me an email. You can contact me at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. I will say this. We had the highest listenership this past season of any season by a significant margin. Our average listenership as the uh, season wore on was about twice as what it was in 2018. So this is the time to get in on the d3football.com around the nation podcast. Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Adam Turr, joined, uh, of course, still by Keith McMillan. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the thing that we very quickly referenced at the top of the podcast. That is to say, the massive change that is now going on at the University of Mount Union as... Uh, 
as references the football program, specifically the athletic department in general. For those who don't know or somehow missed the big news of earlier in January, Vince Karras, the head coach of the Purple Raiders, uh, resigned to take a uh, as yet undefined defensive assistant or possibly defensive coordinator job with the uh, Division One University of Toledo. Larry Karras, who won the first 11 of the 13 national championships at Mount Union, uh, had been the athletic director for the past seven years solely while Vince Karras was a coach. He announced that he will be taking a buyout from the university uh, effective the end of the academic year. And guys, I mean, this kind of puts the capper on a very interesting stretch of football at the University of Mount Union, and then I'll let you guys battle out about who gets to talk about it first. Well, I don't know if it's the the capper on it in the sense that we've seen multiple times now these great programs led by legendary coaches. Those eras don't last forever, and eventually the great coach has to retire or uh, move on for, for whatever reason. And there's some cases like Pacific Lutheran where they've kept it in the family and, and that didn't work so well. And they've you know had to go outside the program and, and, and they still really haven't had the success that they had uh, in 1999 in D3 and prior to that in NAIA. But then there's, there's St. John's and UW-Whitewater who met this season in a semifinal game and Whitewater went to the, the Stag Bowl. They each had to replace their legendary coaches and whether they had to take it outside the family or keep it in the family, um, those programs were able to sustain success, but they still had a a brief drop off in the interim before the the new coach got it necessarily back up and running. So I think there's two ways it could go. One is, is um, this thing keeps going. And because Mountain Union has done so much to establish a recruiting pipeline, a reputation, the connections they'll have in in Ohio, within the coaching community to where they'll be able to, to hire a great coach, that stuff may be so impenetrable that this that this can keep rolling under someone else, or it may be that the coach whichever Karras you're referring to was such a good coach and such a genius that um, they won't be able to, to sustain the level of success that they've had over the past 27 years. If, if I mean, you can go back to 1990 when they first made the playoffs, but 93 is the first championship. This could be a, a seismic shift in D3, or it could be just one of these times where, uh, where a great program changes head coaches. I mean, you look at you mentioned keeping it in the family, and you know, few programs like Mount Union do this. And we actually saw some of them this year. Uh, one is a national champion, North Central Cardinals. We also saw Wheaton uh, with the same kind of coaching staff, where it's comprised almost entirely of program alumni. So they've been in the players' shoes. They've been on the coaching staff under that legendary head coach who's been there for years. And Mount Union is the same way. And a lot of programs have tried to replicate that. I mean, you look at the assistant coaching depth chart, it's almost entirely former Mount Union players. Uh, and the chances are one of them is likely to get the head coaching job. And if not, they're probably going to bring in another former player who is left to go elsewhere and coach. Uh, so the pipeline, I think, stays intact. And all the things that they've learned from uh, Larry Karras and from Vince, I don't think that's going to change. I don't think we're going to see uh, anything different than typical Mount Union football. Uh, they're a, a nationally known entity now, let alone in Ohio. 
So I think no matter who takes over the program, there's going to be a level of consistency that, that other programs who haven't built a coaching staff from the inside the way this program has might not have that luxury. But I think they've set themselves up for uh, a, a level of continuity that most programs uh, would strive for. And I would say that every program, when they when they make a changeover, the preference of the players is to keep it in-house. They want as little change as possible. And that's not always the best decision, as we saw quite vividly in the Whitewater situation when they hired Lance Leipold, who was in the family but had been at Nebraska-Omaha when, when he was hired. And, and there was someone on staff that they wanted to keep, and it turned out the right move was to bring in the guy from the outside. So Mountain Union would be squandering a chance to look at any everyone and everyone if they don't may uh, open this up for a, for a national search um because they have such great name recognition they could pretty much have the pick of whoever they want to uh to come in and take this job and i imagine if you don't want an outside voice or a fresh look i mean why would you reset or look for something fresh when what you've been doing has been working great you just have to look within the coaching family and um the Mountain Union coaching tree, I guess, for the Karis tree is not just uh, people who are on campus now, but there are so many coaches. In, and I hope at some point in this podcast, we'll throw out some names. But there are so many people coaching in high school, in college, uh, as assistant coaches, and in college as head coaches. And some, uh, there's at least one Mountain Union coach in the pros, and there's a Mountain Union uh, pro personnel director. So they have so many connections in ways that they could open this thing up if they choose to. Um, but I think they're also, if we get a chance to sort this, sort this out you know, with just by throwing out a few names, um, there'll probably be a, a good group of say five who, uh, who make perfect amount of sense. Well, and the name recognition too. I mean, Mount union uh, is a known entity among coaches of every level of football. You know, there might be some coaches who might not know about every division three program, but they've certainly, heard of Mount Union. This is going to be a coveted job, uh, and I'm interested to see the names of the applicants. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some Division One assistant coaches who threw their hat in the ring for this, uh, because it is a chance to lead a national powerhouse program uh, who does play most years, gets a game on ESPN, uh, has a lot of recognition, and really this job hasn't been open like this in 35 years. Uh, you know, Vince took over from his dad, uh, and that wasn't a national search at the time. That was kind of handing the keys over as we expected whenever that day came that Larry would take a step back. We kind of knew what the plan was going to be or had an idea that, that the first choice was most likely at that time to be his son. So this is uh, an opportunity for every football coach at every level that really hasn't existed in their coaching careers. Yeah, this is basically exactly like when the Whitewater job came open after Leipold left, right? Because the last time the Mount Union coaching job was truly open, obviously, Mount Union wasn't Mount Union, right? They were not the kind of program that they are right now. If we're to talk about the guys who are on staff, uh, Chris Kappas has been the uh, defensive coordinator there for five seasons. Jeff Dart has been the offensive coordinator there for six seasons. You know, a lot of people are talking about Mike Sirianni, obviously, who's a former uh, Mountain Union wide receiver, has been the head coach at W&J for a long time. Uh, if we were to talk about guys coming back from Division One, obviously, I think there's a, a lot of people out there. I don't know how many people, uh, you know, would be interested in coming back and making 
that transition, but we're talking with another coach later in this podcast who went from D1 uh, FBS defensive coordinator to come back and be a D3 head coach at his alma mater. So I guess that that's, uh, I, I guess that uh, anything's possible, right? Sure. I mean, I, I think if, if that's your dream, then it is. But if your dream is to, to go as far as coaching can take you, then maybe it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, I think the names you threw out make, make sense. I mean, I think Alex Grinch, who's the defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, is too far yeah. up the chain in D1. I mean, he was interviewing for the Washington State job uh, this offseason. So I think he's probably too close to being a, a head coach in, in D1 and making a, a huge payday uh, that you be maybe not smart for him to, to come back. But I think just about everyone else who could be mentioned in this group, uh, coaches who've had success in in uh, as D3 head coaches, Mike Hallett, who's on the Toledo staff, I believe most recently, but uh, was head coach at uh, at Heidelberg. Um, Mike Hallett, Dean Paul, who's uh, head coach at Ohio Northern. You know, they've been a playoff team occasionally, but I don't know if, if, that, if there's enough success or enough continuity there. Eric Rayburn probably would have been a candidate if he didn't just take the, uh, the job at Gannon. And uh, there are some other names from the from the D three family that make a lot of sense, but I, I think Sirianni probably is the best combination of keeping it in the family in terms of of somebody who's been uh, not not just a a um, Mountain Union person, but also kind of still in the area, still recruits Ohio and Western Pennsylvania at Washington Jefferson, but also has led a program and has enough head coaching experience. To, uh, to be a great hire. I think, you, Adam, you could probably speak to this, but I, I bet uh, Dart and, and Kappas are your, are your you know, odds-on candidates, but I, I don't know if, and I don't know if Mike Sirianni is interested, but certainly that'd be, a, that'd be a great move for them. Well, I think it's interesting in how the program wants to, to hit this reset button. Do you want to give an opportunity to a younger, uh, a kind of up-and-coming coordinator? Uh, one name we have mentioned, you know, Kevin Burke, would be interesting. You know, he's proven himself as an offensive coordinator at Case Western these past couple of years. But you know, how far back do you want to reset and start over when you have such a deep pool of experienced candidates? Uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of guys who are currently head coaches or who have been head coaches and left to go to a higher level uh, of college football as assistants. So, uh, you know, this isn't your typical coaching search where maybe a, a young up and comer gets the job because there's going to be so much experience where you know a head coach from a playoff team uh, can just slide right in and knows the program so well that it would still be a smooth transition. It's kind of rare for a head coach to go be a head coach of a different program without having to reset and change a lot of things. But I think this is that unique situation where a guy like Sirianni can slide right in and you know he everything he does stems from his background at Mount Union. You know, all that being said, that this is sort of the ideal time to reset from a coaching perspective because the senior class that just graduated, even though they didn't win the championship this year, it was a loaded class. It had a quarterback, was a three-year starter. You had stars on the defensive line at linebacker, cornerbacks with experience. You had a running back, wide receiver, all these players who were who were sort of built for the Stag Bowl this season. I think the new coach gets a little bit of leeway to to come in if it's an outside name um, and, and recraft. Um, you know, say I, I'm starting with a sophomore quarterback or whatever the case ends up being and uh, and and maybe gets a, a little bit of leash where you wouldn't necessarily if you keep it in in house and you try to keep things um, 
grooving as they have been going. But I also think because the Stag Bowl is in Canton the next couple of years, um, that there may not be as there, there's still going to be an expectation for Mountain Union to get to the Stag Bowl. Oh, absolutely, especially as you know, wide open as the 2020 season appears to be. You know, there really is with all the quarterbacks that graduated, including Mountain Unions. It seems like there is uh, not a, any lowered expectation for the program. You know, despite this coaching uh, change, I think the program's expectations of a national title are going to remain the same, uh, even though they're going to be having a new head coach and a new starting quarterback. Uh, just the D3 landscape right now is is so wide open that we're expecting them to compete and contend for a national title, uh, especially in their own backyard. Uh, so I, I think that someone who understands those expectations uh, and those, that's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to go to a program that has such high expectations uh, if you're a first-time head coach. So I think that might give a slight advantage to the guys who have that head coaching experience and have that playoff experience and know what it takes to perform under that level of pressure that really very few, if any, programs in this division face year in and year out. Let me throw out one name who's unlikely to be interested and then one name who I think might be interested who we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Jim Zabrowski, we uh, haven't talked his, uh, haven't mentioned his name on the podcast in probably several years, but he's a Mount Union grad. He's been the uh, uh, offensive co-coordinator at uh, University of Buffalo underneath uh, Lance Leipold now for the past several years. Uh, you remember he was one of the, uh, yeah, he was a, finalist i believe for the whitewater job the first time around when it went to leipold but he's been in division one since so he might not be interested but i just want to throw out zach bruni everybody remembers zach bruni former mountain union quarterback uh he has been the head coach at uh, division two wheeling university for 2019 they're the people formerly known as wheeling jesuit uh it's uh it's been a brand new program so he's been building that program for the last three years uh but he was uh of course a uh uh, he coached at Mountain Union after uh, after he graduated. Uh, he was a grad assistant at University of Toledo, um, and you know he quarterbacked under Larry Karras, which is uh, is uh, a, as good a tutorial as you could think of for something like this. And it's really crazy to 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 be speculating, I guess, just by looking at this list of names. But it's such a yeah. a, a vibrant list of candidates um, that I think. It's, it's not irresponsible to do so, but it's hard to know who wants this job. And I think that part of it is big. And then it's also hard to know who Larry Karras wants, because I think as long as he's still the AD, you know, he, he will have some influence on uh, who is the next hire. And then he can ride off into the sunset knowing the program is in good hands. So I, I think knowing those two things would help us narrow down the pool a little bit. But there really are. And th there's a list on Mountain Union's website, if you just go Mountain Union Coaching Legacy or whatever you want to Google, yeah. um, the the list of coaches is like an all time who's who for those of us who've broadcast you know past Stag Bowls or, I mean Ed Bubonics is coaching in in high school and uh, Tara Scott is, is still at uh in, in the high school coaching ranks and there are just names up and down the list. I think though we we, we said the guys you have to take off because they're so successful uh, in, at D one. Is, is Matt Campbell, who's head coach at Iowa State right now, uh, Jason Candle, who's head coach at Toledo, the person who hired Vince Karras to the Toledo staff, and there are a handful of, of Mountain Union uh, players on the Toledo staff. And then, and then Grinch, I think, is, uh, is also just those guys are so far along in their careers that it, it would be hard to see them coming back because why would you leave a, a job where you, you, know, you get paid millions 
maybe you get fired after four years, but you still you still get paid, or at least several hundred thousand uh, for uh, for a job where you won't get paid quite that much, but you will have career longevity most likely. Yeah, just a couple more names to throw out, and then I'll stop throwing hats in the ring. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Zach Bruni. That's a great call. Uh, at the current staff, I think Kyle Miller is a guy who, if if he wants to, uh, might be ready. You know, he has NFL playing experience, Mount Union alum, been on the staff for a few years, seems to be one of their main recruiters. Uh, I think his name would be interesting just because of the experience he has at, at every level of football. Uh, and then B.J. Payne, who's been a college head coach, uh, is now a high school head coach. Uh, and doing uh, great things with his high school program in South Carolina. I think he's another name that that could be considered. Yeah, and if not, you know, those are guys too who well, uh, who could be in line for promotion if, say, Dart or Kappas gets the job, right? You know, maybe uh, Miller then gets uh, promoted to offensive coordinator or something like that. Maybe Payne comes back and becomes a, a coordinator if he doesn't get or is not interested in the head coaching job. Uh, Bo Balderson is another guy who's now a longtime high school head coach who could be in line for, you know, an assistant job back at Mount Union if that uh, is something that is you know, uh, attractive as well. Maybe someone like uh, Josh Ludwig, who played defensive line for Mount back at the end of the 90s and the beginning of the aughts as a, a high school head coach about an hour east of Alliance. There's lots of guys who are in line for promotion. This tree and Keith, I had been on the exact same page. I had got there by Googling Mount Union Karis coaching tree, if that's helpful to people. Um, but it is a it's a it's a it's a great uh piece of information and i know it's up to date because it has rayburn at uh at gannon which is a d2 right. school and he hasn't been there that long and, and when we say keeping in the family right rayburn is literally in the Karras family yeah. right yeah rayburn is uh is is uh, larry Karras's son-in-law well if we're just throwing names out too i mean there are there are uh division one assistants who who could be in the mix uh brian flynn is in 90s a uh, wide receiver who is at uh, was at Penn for no uh, Villanova for ten years, and then uh, is at Princeton now. Um, Tom Manning is the uh, offensive coordinator at Iowa State. I don't know again if these guys are interested or if they're happy where they are, but there are so many because the the coaching tree has grown and and flourished, bloomed, if you will, uh, so much that um, there really are there could be some names in this list that would check both of the boxes someone who is caris approved and keeps it in the family keeps the the ball rolling and also someone who has fresh ideas because they've been uh, outside of alliance let me ask one more thing and then we'll move on to our next segment but uh, you know this is this comes at a very interesting time for mountain union right you know you guys had said and it's obviously quite true that last year, you know, maybe Mountain Union may well have been the second best team in Division Three football, even if they were bounced in the second round. But we're coming off a stretch where, uh, you know, maybe the beginning of the fall off has already happened, right? Because um, because under Vince Karras, they won only, and I use the air quotes here, uh, two national championships in seven seasons. Are we already on this decline? And we have that big graduating class. And, you know, losing a bunch of players off of that dynamic offense, you know, is this that's why I suggested is this the you know, is this a, a watershed moment, I guess, for the Purple Raiders? I, I don't think you can answer that. Adam, you take this after me. You tell me what you think. I don't think you can answer that until you know what happens on the other end, because right now you said only two stag bowls. But w before this year, when was the last time they, they missed a stag bowl? It was uh a few years ago when Mary Hart and Baylor played 
Oshkosh and Mount Union in that year had freshman quarterback, went to Mary Harden Baylor and lost by two points. So they were basically on the cusp of the stag bowl, even in their air quote worst year uh, up, up until this year. And then this year they lost to the team that, that blew whitewater out in the national championship. So I don't know. I think there's a case to be made that Mount Union is fine, but starting fresh new quarterback. And I know there's a guy on campus that they're excited about. Um, I know that they're several deep at every position. So, you know, every time a, a, a Cecil Shorts leaves, Jasper Collins is there. And then when Jasper Collins is gone, I know I'm skipping a few years here, but there's a Justin Hill. There's always another guy in the pipeline. So I, I think um, there's going to be talent next year. There's going to be that expectation for them to get to Canton. But I don't think you can say the start of the, the fall off has happened because they didn't make it to one stag ball. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you can say that uh, we've never been here before because there's not going to be a Karras on the sidelines in 2020. But you can also say we have been here before because we've seen seasons where Mount Union has, by their standards, a disappointing year, and they bounce back the next year. And they always reload. The recruiting pipeline is so strong. And the assistant coaches, I would expect many of these alums to remain on the coaching staff in some capacity. Uh, you know, that, that pipeline is not going to change. And I think they are still, you know, if not the favorite, definitely a, a top five contender for the Stag Bowl. And as I mentioned earlier, you look around the rest of the landscape in Division Three, I don't see any clear-cut favorite who can stake a higher claim to them. You know, North Central doesn't have Brock Rudder. St. John's doesn't have Jackson Erdman. Uh, and so if you reset everything in Division Three from one year to the next, who's the program that is going to come to your mind first and foremost? It's going to be Mount Union. And I don't see that changing in 2020 just because there's going to be a change at the top, especially because we expect them to bring in a pretty – uh, experienced name to be the next head coach who's going to have some uh, a lot of familiarity with the program and I think they, they've earned the nickname the machine for a reason and until proven otherwise they're they're going to be at, at or near the very top of division three one other thought I, I want to throw in here before we move on if dart or Capus is the higher whichever one it would be interesting to know what the relationship between the two of them is like assuming it's good one would kind of have to be on board with the other if, if, hey, you're going to get the job, but I, I love this program and I want to stay here and keep my coordinator role. And basically we're co-coaches, but, you know, one person has the job in name. Or does whoever doesn't get that job feel like they get passed over and then they leave the program and then you're not just replacing a, a um, new coach, but you're, you're hiring new coordinators as well. So there's a lot to, to chew on here. And uh, we'll figure out sometime before the season starts what Mount Union is going to do. But there, there really is. Uh, this is an interesting time for this to happen for, for all the reasons you guys have mentioned. Just a, a ton of really uh, interesting timing that makes this top of the podcast worthy stuff to talk about. And now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Aaron Keene in his first day as the head coach at Washington University in St. Louis. Uh, coach, we're kind of here with your uh, your first day debrief, but I really appreciate you taking time out of day one to join us on the podcast. You bet. Uh, it's been a busy day so far. You kind of caught me between meetings, so I, I appreciate the opportunity to join you. Well, we're glad that uh, you were able to find some time. What is the agenda like for a coach, you know, starting first day at an at a new job like you are today. 
Well, there's the things that every coach would think of with uh, getting a start with your staff and and finding out some of the operations and, uh, you know, certainly jumping on to the recruiting. I'm actually meeting the players uh, later tonight for the first time and kind of an interesting situation that I met four of them, I believe, uh, when I was here during the uh, interview process. And I was here for about a day and a half last week just trying to get a jump start on some things and met about six others. But I have not had the opportunity to meet the entire roster. So, um, you know, as they've started the semester this Monday, I'm, I'm getting my first opportunity now. And then the things you don't think about with onboarding process of being an employee, and that's probably the more stressful stuff for me is uh, my wife isn't here to help out with all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So you have your birth certificate or your social security card or your passport or something, right? Well, I wish you had told me that uh, before I left Michigan because I don't have that stuff and I'm going to have it overnighted to me. <laughs> ah, yes, that is uh, all of those uh, all those tax forms and all that wonderful stuff. Um, you, you mentioned that you'd met some of the players. Did you get a chance in the interim between uh, being hired or maybe even in the interview process to watch any of Wash You on tape and see what you know you were uh, what you were coming into and who was coming back and all that? Well, as I was sitting in my office game planning, the, the great part about playing midweek games in, in the MAC uh, is that you have some opportunities on Saturdays to, to watch some of your coaching buddies. And in this case, watch a mentor of mine and Larry Kimbaum and his last home game against Milliken, I think, was the last game that I watched. Uh, got a chance to see the end of that game. So I, I have had an opportunity to see some of the guys play a little bit. I haven't. I wouldn't say that I've had a chance to dive deep into it and evaluate talent and, and scheme and all of that stuff. Well, I know that, of course, you spent a lot of time in Division Three and then some time in Division Two before going to the MAC. What's it like right now for you coming back to Division Three? Well, football is football. So, I mean, there's a there's a lot of differences between the levels, and and most of them uh, revolve around restrictions. Obviously, of you know time you get around players, and that's probably going to be the biggest challenge for me in in moving to Division Three is just having to adjust uh, to the little amount of time that you get with them in in the off season, and then adjusting to the non traditional season once once we start spring football. Uh, but I've got recruiting to occupy my time uh, in the meantime and, and keep me busy. I have to say, um, you know, I grew up, I can't say I grew up in Ypsilanti, but I spent four years in Ypsilanti from like second through sixth grade. My dad worked in Ann Arbor for, you know, the guys in Maize and Blue. Um, but, you know, that program that you were at uh, is, you know, one that has been perennially in that shadow, right? Has had not really done a lot of... Hadn't really had much to speak of in terms of football success. What was it like being part of, uh, you know, a, a team, including some other Division Three alumni or coaching alumni, to kind of bring that program into some prominence? Well, it's still in the shadow of the big house. That that's yeah. that's a large shadow of cast. But uh, you know, it's been a unique opportunity to be a part of a program that um, you know, we had not been in a bowl game in 29 years when we qualified in 2016. Uh, so it's a uh, you know, it's a long time coming for a lot of people around there, a lot of living alumni and, um, and, and a lot of people who maybe weren't wearing the colors green and, and the block E yeah. uh, with pride. So pretty special to be a part of such a turnaround. And I'll tell you, it was uh, I, I told our players as I left the program, Coach Creighton gave me an opportunity to address the team. And, you know, the I think the thing I left him with was um, – the fact that uh, how the pride that I felt uh, and the excitement I felt for for them uh, moving forward, uh, if I thought back on um, the six years I was there and some of the challenges and then getting off the bus for the last time 
during our bowl game in Detroit and seeing all of those fans wearing the green and the, and the blocky and the excitement they had for the football program, uh, you know you, you were part of something that was done right, and, and it was awful exciting. Now, uh, Larry Kinbaum uh, announced his retirement fairly early on in the season, obviously, so there was a lot of time for people to kind of consider whether – you know, what the future of the WashU football program might look like. At what point in that process did you think this is a job that uh, you would be interested that you would come back to your alma mater for a head coaching job? Well, great question. I, in 2002, when I left Washington University, um, they almost had to kick me out of the door to, to go take a head coaching job. I, I didn't want to leave this place. Uh, and I think anybody who has spent a good amount of time here would tell you it's a pretty special place. Uh, you get to you get to coach uh, some unique individuals, uh, and I think that's really the thing that separates this institution is the type of people you get to work with. Uh, and I'm I'm speaking with you know on I guess a couple fronts the the staff and administration and and uh, your coaches, uh, but also the players that you get to deal with on a day to day basis. They're 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 pretty special. Um, so. I knew that it was a place I wanted to come back to. Now, my career kind of took me in different places um, and different directions. Um, and probably some of us waiting for Larry Kimbaum to retire. Um, but, you know, it's it's unique place in that not many places are um, looking for a head coach for the first time since 1988, 89, whenever he was hired. Yeah. Um, so it's, um, it's something I've always kept my eye on. Uh, I've always stayed in touch with, with Coach K. I really would consider him a second father to me. I mean, he's just uh, been so impactful on my life. So he's still a guy that I'll call for advice, uh, you know, on a weekly basis if I need it. Uh, so it's it's great to be back around him and, and uh, certainly value that opportunity. So when, when he informed me uh, of the decision, it was something I immediately began to, to think about and, and talk to people close to, to myself and, and to my wife. And, um, you know, it ended up being the right decision uh, at the right time. What kind of conversations have you had with him since you ended up getting the job? Well, a lot, a lot of process-oriented questions uh, as far as recruiting is concerned, and and um, you know certainly questions about the new conference that they're in. Right. Uh, that's there, there's some things that are very different from when I uh, was last here in 2002. Uh, so you know, figuring those things out from an admissions and financial aid standpoint to you know, the, the, a lot of the staff is different here in the athletic department from an, uh, the administrative side. So figuring those things out and, um, you know, it's I'm just beginning that process. So I will lean on him heavily to uh, provide some influence. Yeah, I would say that a lot less of this uh, job right now is filling out your schedule, for example. That's, that's a lot easier than I think, you know, Coach K had it uh, over the last couple of years. So I, I'm thankful for that. You know, you're, you're coming back to campus after having been there, not having you know been on staff for about 18 years. You talked about the the new conference and, of course, meeting a, a bunch of new people. Um, what are the other things that you have to do? Like, for example, um, you know, are there you know what's uh, what's the state of the coaching staff, for example, in terms of assistance? How many people are you hiring? How many people are staying on? You know, maybe just in general numbers, because I'm sure some of that stuff hasn't been uh, fully fleshed out yet. Sure. Well, you know, relationships are so important in this business. And, uh, you know, I guess my first priority is developing those relationships with the players that are here. Um, the next part of it is developing relationships with the recruits uh, that are that are looking at Washington University and trying to make some pretty critical decisions in their lives. And the, and the thing I have to factor in is that a lot of these assistants have been recruiting these kids and have established relationships with them. 
Um, so, you know, I, the one thing that I was uh, asked when I took the job is to, to interview the staff members that are that are here. And I, I fully plan on doing that. I have established relationships with virtually all of those assistants. Um, and so, you know, it's something I've got to factor in and, you know, we've got to make sure that we have the right cohesiveness and chemistry as, as a staff as we move forward. But, you know, we've got to make sure that we're taking care of first things first. And that's the players in the program and the recruiting before we start dealing with those things. Well, I'm going to reserve the right to ask you about things that are not quite uh, the first thing on the front burner. And talk about um, spring practice, for example. You knowing knowing that you know spring practice in Division Three is obviously a different animal, and it's a little shorter, and there are no pads and that sort of thing, and no spring game. What does the schedule look for like for you, and when does that take place? And you know, then are you installing new schemes and all that sort of fun stuff? Yeah, we've got about eight weeks until our spring break, and um, you know, so the players will be heavily involved in the strength conditioning uh, process of, up to that point. And, you know, there's some things we'll have to scale back from what I'm used to at the Division One level with, with spring football. The, the spring game is probably a little bit overblown at most institutions. It's, it's not really a game that probably most coaches love. It's, it's kind of a wasted day of practice. So I don't look at that as necessarily a great thing other than the excitement surrounding the program. And, you know, of course, the players like to showcase their ability, especially the younger kids. And so I'll miss that competitive side of things. Um, but, you know, to me, it's all about development of, of players and, and working on football skills with them because we have so, so a limited time around them as coaches uh, to be able to maximize that time for, for them to be able to soak in all the coaching as far as technique is concerned and make them better football players and installing schemes. If you look at any changes that you're going to make offensively, defensively, and special teams to be, to be able to uh, install those schemes to the best of your ability so that the players can get a little jump start going into the summer uh, is a priority. And, you know, so we'll be creative in how we, we get that done. Now, if I remember correctly, you played quarterback at WashU, is that right? I did. Right. And so you have now uh, an opportunity to install somebody new after having a guy who was a, a veteran guy, longtime uh, quarterback and replacing Davidson. So what is does that excite you any more than it would uh, any other position, perhaps? Well, I think it's a it's a pretty key position. That's that's for sure. Um, you know, any, any place that I've been and had any success offensively, it's because you've had that guy pulling the trigger that that's able to make your entire team better. And so we'll be on the search for for that person starting starting out this semester and and then kind of carrying it through the summer and into the fall camp. But, uh, you know, that's it's certainly a position that I'm excited to uh, to see develop and uh, see uh, what we have on the roster and and how we can develop those guys. Keith, not to get all D3 homerish here, but I would think that an offensive coordinator at a Mac school that played in a bowl game would be a guy who would be in position to move up in the D1 world, whether that's as a coordinator at a school in a more prominent conference or possibly to a D1 FBS head coaching job. But the draw of Division III and coaching at his alma mater uh, certainly seems like it was enough to bring Aaron Keene back. Yeah, you heard the way he spoke about Larry Kinbaum. And, uh, you know, I don't think Aaron Keene would take the Washington and Jefferson job. Obviously, that's not open, but it's Washington U that had the draw for him because it's a place that he's been because he knows uh, Larry and he knows people and the potential. I thought the way he spoke about he didn't really say what it is that makes the players so unique, but it reminded me of the way Jim Margraff would talk about Johns Hopkins players like he's like uh, we're recruiting these guys. 
And obviously there are good high school football players that were going to turn into good college football players, but then they're going to go work for NASA or, you know, whatever could be criminal justice and, you know, change the world or cure cancer or whatever Johns Hopkins grads do, you know, like he, he I think Wash U is on that level in, in terms of academics. And, and that is part of what makes it a challenge uh, to recruit. And you have to have the connections that Larry Kinbaum had or that, you know, Aaron Keene will, he sort of references to where you maybe want to keep some assistance on board to keep the pipeline open for recruiting because you don't, um, even if you don't know those guys personally and you don't know how you would work as a staff, it might be worth sacrificing some, some staff cohesiveness to keep those recruiting pipelines open because it's just so hard to, when your school needs a, I don't know what the SAT scores are anymore because they changed so much since I took SATs and, and my kids are not quite, uh, not quite there yet. Although it'll be, it'll be in a couple of years uh, or ACT scores. But I mean, when your requirements are so high that recruiting, you know, the difference recruiting well is the difference between having 70 kids in the program and having 95. That's the difference between, you know, surviving a spate of injuries and making a playoff run or finishing seven and three. So there, there it really is value to that. And I, I thought that was pretty neat. And and we, we hear it again and again, Pat, guys will make exceptions for their alma maters for a place that they feel strongly about. Um, he said, it's all about relationships. And I think that applies mostly with people, relationships with players, relationships with coaches, even relationships with your own administration or the leaders of your institution, but also just coaches have relationships with with us with a, with these places that have helped raise them. And uh, you're right, a, a guy who probably could have uh, become a head coach in D1 at some point or remained a coordinator at that level makes an exception for Wash U, and, and it doesn't seem crazy. One more separate thing to include from Aaron Keene, because it didn't really fit into our previous conversation about who might replace Vince Karras at the University of Mount Union. But I asked Keene what it would be like for Karras now going into Division One and into the MAC. Well, I think the advantage for him is he's going to an in-state institution. He's used to recruiting those kids uh, in that state. Um you know, so I don't, I don't know where exactly he'll be recruiting, but, you know, as you look at uh, the challenge of moving up in levels, most people would tell you when they hire you, the biggest challenge is the recruiting side of things. Um, and I think some of the best recruiters in the country are down at the Division three level. They really have to, to sell some things uh, to kids and, and give them a vision uh, without money hanging over their head and scholarships as enticements. Um, the hardest part at that level is just evaluating talent and pulling the trigger and making decisions on kids and, and trusting your own judgment there. Um, and that's where the transition from, from non-scholarship football to, to scholarship level, uh, football from a recruiting sta- standpoint is, that's uh, the biggest challenge. And, um, you know, but the, other than that, coaching football is coaching football. And, um, you know, I think some of the best football in, at that level is played in the Mid-American Conference. So there's certainly a challenge. It's There there are battles each week and every game is tight. And, uh, you know, it's um, a lot of those coaching decisions come into play in, in um, you know, those very close games.
Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Jordan Neal, the head football coach at McMurray University in Abilene, Texas, an Abilene native, a longtime associated with Abilene Division Three football coach. I appreciate you taking the time to join us here. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I know you grew up there and then you played at that school on the other side of town and now you're at McMurray. So how do you, you know, how do you kind of navigate the fact that you've played on both sides of this rivalry and you know now this is the side of town you grew up on and you're back as a head coach how does that all work for you <laughs> yeah it's a really good question I, i'm definitely a, a hometown guy the opportunity to come back to abilene was a big part of the decision you know for me to even be interested in this job in the first place yeah, i've been living in arkansas for the last seven years and was was really happy and content coaching at Hendricks college and we we built a program kind of from scratch there and uh, you know, initially I was reluctant to come back, you know, just because I've got my parents here and, and uh, my wife's family is also here. And there's a, just a lot of benefits to being back home. And um, McMurray's a great place. I actually spent more time probably in my youth on the McMurray campus than I did on the Hardin Simmons campus, even though my brother and I both um, played football and baseball, at, you know, over at HSU. Um, but Steve Keenum, you know, C- uh, Case Keenum's dad. Yeah. was the head football coach here at McMurray for a long time. We've known them forever, and he actually recruited me. And And really, when it came down to it, my decision was uh, between McMurray and Hardin-Simmons, and the thing that really kind of carried it for me was, you know, McMurray didn't have a baseball team at the time, and, and Hardin-Simmons did. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, but it's a, you know, a familial place and a lot of great friends here, and uh, we, we're, we're enjoying the – you know, the rivalry, if you want to call it that, and trying to build a program here. You took over the program just about a year ago, so you're kind of going still through some of these things for the first time in terms of having an off-season now where you have a full recruiting cycle and, and that sort of thing. What do you find different about kind of going through some of these things for the first time and then some for the second time here in this off-season? You know, getting here about this time a year ago, uh, we only had we, – we had just under – 50 players in the program. So there was not very many guys in the program. We knew that we needed to bring in a big class and that we were going to be uh, extremely young. There were only uh, seven seniors in the program and really only two or three of those guys played, played any kind of a, a meaningful role and, and played, played much for us this past season. So we knew it was going to be a building process uh, right now, we've got a little over 80 guys in the offseason, and many of whom are freshmen, many of whom are, you know, sophomores, going to be juniors. And so, uh, you know, just just kind of, you know, getting getting my business cards and my email address in my office and getting our staff on board and just kind of learning the, the landscape here at McMurray and, and figuring out. Uh, what we need to do to try to build this thing the right way. Uh, you know, we're, we're through a lot of that. So uh, we had our first meeting a couple of days ago for the, for the spring semester and it just had a different feel. You know, it, it wasn't a whirlwind like it was this time a year ago. Um, and we, we feel like we've moved in a, in a positive direction and we've retained a lot of really good uh, student athletes in our program. So we feel like we've got We've kind of got our legs underneath us now, and uh, we definitely know a lot more at this point than we did coming in a year ago. Yeah, if I look at just the the dates at which a bunch <coughs> of your assistant coaches were hired, um, I'm looking at you know a bunch of guys came in in March, and you basically turned over the entire staff. So it had to have been, you know, at at this point a year ago. How many coaches was it? You and how many others? 
Yeah, we, we've got six full-time coaches here, including myself, and we've got a lot of really, really quality uh, part-time assistant coaches that, that help us. Uh, you know, we, we've got some student coaches. I mean, there's really about 12 of us that are, that are actively uh, working and recruiting and, and getting it going. And uh, yeah, it was just a lot of moving parts and a lot of people coming from different parts of the country. Our defensive coordinator uh, is a Texas guy. He's originally from the Houston area and he had a lot of family in, in San Antonio and his wife was from there. And so he was eager to get back to Texas. And, you know, that was a process for him to get his family all, you know, all that way. Our defensive line coach was was with him at San Diego Mesa Community College. So same thing for him. And, uh, you know, each one of us, it was a you know, a lot of U-Haul trips and, you know, I took several trips back and forth between Abilene and Arkansas to get here. Uh, we, we still don't have any, any pictures hung up on our walls in our house, but, uh, <laughs> uh and we're still kind of living halfway in and out of a suitcase, but, uh, we feel like we're settled in and, you know, it was definitely a process. And as, as much as it was a process of, of our players getting used to things, it was, it was certainly that way for our coaches. And these are guys that I've known and, uh, wanted to have on on a staff if I ever became a head coach for a long time, um, and you everything is hypothetical until you get together and you actually start doing it together. Uh, and we've grown a lot as a staff, and we're uh, you know we're in a lot better place now than we were a year ago. But but it definitely uh, took some time to get everybody on board and get the puzzle pieces put together. I can only imagine that uh, you know having a spent a couple of years as an assistant in the ASC and then you know seven years as you said as a, as as an assistant at Hendricks. You probably collected a bunch of those names as, as in guys who you would hire if you eventually became a, a head coach. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, and I, I'm proud to say that I've got kind of a representation from each of the places that I've been, uh, and including Harden Simmons. Uh, you know, in in terms of support staff and. Uh, there's a lot of folks here at McMurray that that spent time at Harden Simmons, you know, in, in other sports and and vice versa, you know, over there, people that have been at McMurray. So there's a lot of uh, familiarity between the two schools there. Same thing with Howard Payne, our defensive line coach. I coached him at, at, at HPU. Our offensive coordinator and I became friends instantly whenever I spent one season at Texas Lutheran. Uh, and then our offensive line coach was a was an outstanding player and and young coach for us at Hendricks and so he and he was a Texas we all have Texas ties and uh, kind of happy to be back in in uh, what we call the great state of Texas uh, but but we feel like we've got a good diverse mix of coaches on our staff from different different parts of the state which certainly pays dividends in recruiting and a uh, lot of lot of relationships that I continued to actively recruit Texas the whole time I was in Arkansas. We drew a lot of players from the Dallas Fort Worth area and East Texas. There's a lot of good football players, a lot of good high school ball played in that part of the of the state. And so uh, we feel like we've got a good mix of of guys with a different range of experience. Um, you know, I'm a young guy, but um, I like having a couple of older guys on the staff, guys that are older than me that can teach me how to do things. We've got guys on our staff that have been head coaches in the past. So, um, it's a, it's a good mix. And like I said, it, it took time for us to kind of develop our core values and the program priorities that we wanted to kind of, uh, you know, stake on, in, in, into the ground. And, uh, we feel like we've, uh, we've established a lot of that stuff, even though, we didn't have the kind of season that we wanted to this past season. And we do feel like we've built a lot in terms of expectations and tradition. And, and I think that that comes from our coaches being in similar programs at the high school level and at the college level. I feel like 15 years ago, we would have talked a coach in Texas about, 
you know, the Division Three brand and how hard it is to recruit people to come to Division Three. But I'd have to think that now with the you know the prominence that the folks down at Mary Harden Baylor have taken over the past several years that the the D three brand is probably a bit, little bit better established and now you guys have to compete against them rather than compete against the lack of knowledge of what Division three football is about. Yeah, absolutely, and I, you know I think um, you know as much as we you know want to you know Mary Harden Baylor for sure is 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 at the top of the heap right now and. And they have been for for a long time. I know that the guard was kind of changing. I felt like uh, the last couple of years that I played over at Harden Simmons, you know, whereas Harden Simmons had been kind of the dominant program in the ASC, and that started to shift. Of course, both programs have continued to be successful. Um, but man, the ASC, there's not an easy game on our schedule for for anybody, uh, and and I, and we love that. And I think that's because you know Texas high schools are represented so strongly in all of our programs. You know, even Louisiana College, you know, and Bellhaven, even though they're not technically in Texas, they get a lot of Texas kids and a lot of the same, a uh, lot of, lot of crossover with coaches that have been at some of those same places. And I think anything that makes any team in our league better makes us all better. And uh, we're just trying to angle for for uh, for some real estate and try, try to carve out some space for ourselves over here at McMurray. What does that space look like? I mean, you guys, you, you mentioned there's no easy games and you guys are, are coming, you know, in this season, having lost 14 consecutive games and having lost all 10 last year. What's what's the next step for you guys? Where do you what are the goals for like 2020 and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was an extremely difficult year because of that. And I, I've been so I, I tell, tell people this all the time. I've been spoiled, rotten, getting to be uh, as a player and as an assistant coach with other great coaches and good programs that have been successful and have been in the playoffs and won conference championships and, 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 and that sort of thing. Uh, so enduring what we had to endure this past season and, and not winning a game and not not having any any skins on the wall was tough, but I think it was a great learning experience for all of us, players, coaches, everybody, uh, just to stay true to our, you know, to our program priorities and, and, and just, it sounds cliche, but to continue to believe in the process and doing what it takes to get better every day. And, uh, you know, I don't like to measure things in moral victories or in, in, in victories other than the scoreboard at the end of the field, uh, and I've I've never been a good loser. <laughs> I've never been a graceful loser. But uh, you know, we feel like when you really dig in and you look at the progress that we've made as a team, uh, retaining quality student athletes here at McMurray and getting our guys to trust in us and believe in what we're trying to build here, uh, we feel like we've we've you know moved our fence post forward significantly. And uh, I hate that we don't have anything to show for it. We were really close in a couple of ball games this past season. Uh, dealt with a lot of uh, vicissitudes and things that were unexpected. But, you know, I'm really proud of the way our guys just continued to, to show mental toughness and battle through that and kind of fight to the bitter end. And so I know our players and coaches are really, really eager to get that first win uh, and, and see the culmination of our hard work, you know, really manifest in, in, in just one win and then focus on, you know, getting the next one after that. And so, uh, you know, we've just had to be patient and continue to work and, uh, you know, all the cliche things that you could say, I guess, uh, you know, apply in this situation. But 
Um, I'm just proud of the fact that we have continued to recruit. We've got a lot of really quality kids coming on campus here in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, we feel like we're, we're really close to, to, to building something special here. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We're proud to be in the ASC. Like I said, there's no, there's no easy ball games in this league, and uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. Keith, no easy ball games for McMurray in the conference, and the Warhawks are trying not to be an easy game for the rest of the league in 2020. Yeah, it's been an interesting up and down cycle for McMurray over the past dozen years or so. They've gone from 0 and 10 to the playoffs to Division Two. They've gone through coaching changes, and, and maybe they have stability now. Like if you click onto the team page, you'll see where McMurray was 0 and 9 in 01. They were 0-9 in 2002. They were a six-win team, a seven-win team, 99 in 2000. Then they went 0-10 in a couple years. I'm sure there was a coaching change there. So they g- struggled through some years where they top out at 5-5. Five and five. Then they're 0-10 again in 08. Rebuild the program back up. Six wins in 2010. 9-3. Make the playoffs in 2011. Here they are. They're a, a contender in the ASC, and they maybe got ahead of themselves a little bit. Tried to make that move to D2. It didn't go well. Uh, From 2012 to 14, they were back in D3 and back in the ASC by 2015. Um, But at that point, they didn't have... um, I think it's hard to recruit to Division II when you don't have the footing. And uh, you know, even though you have essentially scholarships to give out, you tend to be breaking... You don't have... It's not 85 scholarships you're working with. What, What is the number in D2? 36? Yes, 36. So you're trying to build a 100-person roster with 36 scholarships. Uh, it's not quite the boon necessarily that you think it is, and I think they just fit so well in the in the ASC because of the, all the connections that, that Jordan Neal talked about in Abilene between Harden-Simmons and McMurray and Abilene Christian is in that town as well. And then um, everything except for the, the Louisiana games, you know, Everything is in Texas, and so even though it's a huge, giant state, it's the recruiting. You know, you just rec- you learn to recruit the different areas of Texas. You get the pipelines going, and I, I think the tough thing is you you mentioned this briefly. You got Mary Harden Baylor, the, the monster, right? That's there. You have Harden Simmons, uh, who's perennial contender uh, at least to make the playoffs. Texas Lutheran was very good last year. You have all these other programs, Trinity. Who, uh, who's not in the same conference, but is generally pretty competitive. You've got all these other programs who are on the rise. How do you get someone to pay attention to Mac Murray or to Mick Murray, not Mac Murray? How do you get someone to pay attention to your program when you're uh, when you're just up and coming? I, I think Jordan Neal tap, tapped into it a little bit by hiring a staff of coaches who have connections in Texas and you're just going to be young for a couple of years. We've talked about it many times on the pod where the first two, three years may be a little rough, but once you get those two, three classes and you, you get, you get to year four, you should be having some kind of breakthrough. Is it McMurray or is it Mac Murray or is it Mac Murray or Mac Murray? Well, we asked coach Neil that very question. Yeah, we 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 got to be careful, you know. There's there's I I believe that there's Mick Murray and Mac Murray. <laughs> Wait, so but which one are you? We are we are Mick Murray. <laughs> but uh, and I understand that, but I, like everybody I've heard in Texas pronounces it Mac Murray, right? And that's just kind of the way the 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 you know the native uh, pronunciation of the English language is, right? So <laughs> how, I don't yeah. know how it's possible to tell apart. 
Man, that's a that's a good question. You know, we're we're down here in the south. We talk we talk a little slower. We got a little bit of a drawl. Uh, you know, I don't think many people around here know anything other than than the McMurray here here in Abilene. So we we got that going for us. Yeah, the consensus there is no consensus. I'm not going to tell the good people of Texas how to pronounce their words. So I think people are just going to have to accept the fact that uh, McMurray sounds like McMurray when you're down there. One last thing, Pat. Each time we have a coach on during the offseason pod, I learn something. And in this case, the idea that you keep a running list of people you'd like to have on your staff if you get hired as a head coach in the future, just a good one for potential future coaches to file away for themselves. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Yes, so even though we don't have categories in the offseason, we will still go to Twitter. We'll put the call out there when it's time for us to head into the podcasting studios and give you an opportunity to throw a question at us that we might take on the podcast. And we're going to take a couple of them here. Uh, pretty good response for a Sunday night recording session in January. Dr. Zach Hood, who is at Z Hood Coach, asks, if you could wave a magic wand, where would you love to see the D3 national title game be played at and why? Great question. Yeah, I think it's great because we're going to see how Canton handles the game for the next two or three years. And I think that could be a great location for it in the sense that Canton is relatively easy to get to for much of D3. But you're also dealing with the weather situation in mid-December, and that's not going to be ideal for uh, for anyone who doesn't have an interest in, in being at the field to watch family or alma mater play. So I, I don't think D3, no matter where you put it, there's a, there's a great draw. Um, just putting it in a city, you, but you'd love to make it as easy as possible for as many casual or semi-interested fans to get there, fill the stadium, enjoy. You know, you could really make it into, and the the cities try to do this, but there's only so much they can do. Try to make it into a party and event for everybody to to come to and enjoy. If we had, I can't really think of like a a warm weather destination yeah. that is also in that spot in D3 where where um everyone could get there everyone was in not everyone but so much of the midwest and then then the mid atlantic uh is in driving distance i don't know if there is a place like that if like you know chicago or indianapolis had like a like had like a covered stadium i don't i just don't know if there is a perfect place for it because so much of D3 is is midwest and and be frank the type of programs that are in the championship game are generally Midwest, you know, Ohio to Wisconsin, Minnesota, whichever one of those is further west. Minnesota's uh, further west. <laughs> I'm, I'm like in my mind drawing a picture and I'm like, yeah, that you got to drive east to go to from St. Paul to Menominee. So you got to go. All right. So you got um, if there was a if there was like a warm weather destination, if like, you know, Detroit or something, you know, someone that was somewhere that was easy for everyone to get to. On short notice, you know, the six-day turnaround for flights, I think, is an issue. I just don't think there's a perfect destination, so I'm really excited to see what Canton does with the game and if Mountain Union makes it to one of those games, what they what they do. I, I think the stadium is going to be a little big. You'd love to see, like, a, you know, like the size of the, I don't know, the soccer stadium that, uh, that, that uh, St. John's and St. Thomas played in this year. Even that is probably a little big for a, for a stag bowl, unless one of the teams yeah. um, locally is in the game. 
I think if we're waving a magic wand, Keith, we can just make Canton a warm weather city, can't we? I did not. I did not even contemplate that. Why don't we take like Miami's weather and put it in Columbus, Ohio? Boom. There you go. Works. Works for me. Yeah, there are not a lot of uh, covered stadiums that are not gigantically large. Doesn't uh, University of Northern Iowa play in something like that? That would at least be a, a, ostensibly a possibility, but it's way off to the west of that uh, pocket, that sweet spot of Division Three football. Uh, Canton is a really good location in terms of it being centrally located, and maybe we will get lucky on the weather. Uh, another question from Mike Corpi, which is at Corpizi. I should really uh, enlarge the font size. That's what it looks like to me. On my Twitter here, asking Wheaton's next head coach, question mark. Well, um, you know, certainly one of the candidates has to be Pedro Ruza, who we've talked a little bit about, and he's the head coach at Randolph-Macon. Keith can tell us a little bit more about him in a second. Um, and, you know, there are other people who are possible candidates as well. But, Keith, tell us a little bit about what to tell the fans what they might get if they got Pedro Ruza away from Randolph-Macon. Well, I think Pedro Ruza's strength for Randolph-Macon has been being a culture builder. And uh, what I mean by that is, is establishing an identity. And, and right now Randolph-Macon is sort of a, um, you know, a ball control, play great defense, uh, recruit a certain kind of kid, which by, by that I mean like, um, I, I guess, you know, gritty, like dedicated to the program. So you, you see out of Randolph-Macon, you see a lot of seniors playing key roles, which I think is a sign of, of a program where the players who you recruit stick with it for four years. So I, I think that's his strength. And I don't know if that's what Wheaton needs because Wheaton has a culture already. They they are an ideal, um, I mean, not just a top five program this season, but um, perennial contender. They have an identity. They're they got a rivalry. They have all that stuff that, that I think you, when you hire someone, uh, like Pedro, like that's his best strength more than, than, you know, X's and O's or whatever. So I don't know if that's a perfect match for Wheaton. And I think the things we don't necessarily factor in, although we heard a couple of coaches talk about this earlier on the pod, is like when you, when you take a job, it doesn't just make football sense. It's I'm moving my family from Arkansas to Texas or from, in, in Pedro's case, it would be from Virginia to Illinois. And there can be family implications or reasons why you wouldn't want to do it outside of this makes football sense. So mm -hmm. I don't know if, uh, if that's the hire, but you certainly for Wheaton, they, they should make the call. Someone who's, who's uh, turned a pretty good program uh, into a perennial, you know, conference championship contender. The guy on staff who'd be the most likely to be interviewed or considered for the job would have to be Jesse Scott. He's the offensive coordinator, and he's been on staff for 10 seasons. He's a 2009 grad, so he would be staying at his alma mater. Uh, the, the defensive coordinator, C.J. Nightingale, has only been there for a year, so I'd have to think that if they're going to interview somebody on staff, it would be uh, Jesse Scott. We had talked about Rod Sandberg, who's the head coach at Whitworth and was a former uh, offensive coordinator at... Um, at Wheaton. I have not really heard his name beyond that. I've heard people talk about um, Rick Fox, who's the former head coach. I think it is former, yeah, head coach at Drake, had been a longtime Wheaton assistant and played at Wheaton. I think that's a guy people are talking about. Um, so I think that's a kind of a similar situation where 
you know, like we were talking about with Mountain Union, there are plenty of people who are in the Wheaton football family and, you know, like where the Mount Union football family is going to be focused around, you know, these are the guys who we think can keep the program at the level it is based, you know, in a sense, purely from a football perspective. Um, the Wheaton football family is also going to be very much focused on these are the people who, uh, you know, buy into the Wheaton lifestyle is not the right word, right? But the, the nope. kind of Wheaton point of view, the, 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 the Wheaton way, for lack of a better term, those are the guys I think who are going to be, they really want to be someone who's an insider, I would think, for this job. Yeah, I, I imagine that's probably true. There, there are two quick thoughts I, I would want to add, but that was one of them that, um, you know, I mean, Steve Johnson has been at Bethel forever, so he's probably not leaving. But like someone you do have to have uh, you have to be sort of faith based, right, to, to make it work at Wheaton. I don't think they're going to hire mm -hmm. someone uh, there that that doesn't um, espouse Christianity because that's such a big part of, of Wheaton as a college or a university. And um, the other the other thing not to look past is is go back earlier in the podcast. Jordan Neal, a Harden Simmons guy, jumps across town. Could there be someone at North Central who, because they finally reached the top, and you know that North Central is never uh, replacing Jeff Thorne, is there is there one of the one of the coordinators? Would they ever want to leave? Uh, you know, it's always weird to to leave your alma mater or your the place you love to go to to a rival, but eight miles away. So who knows? Yeah, you wouldn't have to move the kids or change schools at least. I mean, that's that's a major factor though. You no, can take a new job, you can make ostensibly make more money or get better benefits but not have to move the family. That that is a thing that we that again, the coaching is the coaching changes are more than just what makes the most football sense. You would still have to bring your passport or your birth certificate or your social security ID card so that you could actually get hired on the first day. That's pretty funny. Last question, and this is a great one, and it comes from uh, Tyler Reed, who is at Friar Tuck Deluxe. He's uh, sent us questions before. Who won the decade? What a great question. Well, I don't know if it's, it's going to be much of a, um, of a discussion. For me, I, I think the only, the only argument you have is, uh, is, is if Mary Harden Baylor, you know, is like timing-wise. I mean, I, th I think – the decade, right, stretches from the first day of 2010 to the last day of 2019. Whitewater was in the Stag Bowl 2010, 2011, uh, 2013, 2014. So they won four championships, but all were in the first half of, of the decade. But then they made it back this year, and I think that might be what puts them uh, over the top. I think it's probably Whitewater. You could make the argument that Mount Union was in the Stag Bowl almost every year in the decade. Right, they lost in 2010 and 2011. Won it in 2012. Lost 2013 and 14. All those were to Whitewater. Won it in 2015. Won it in 2017. Lost last year uh, in 2018, and obviously knocked out in round two in 2019. You can make the argument for Mountain Union, but uh, just the two championships. Mary Harden Baylor, two championships, but again, air quotes, just the two championships. I'm sorry, Mountain Union has three championships this decade. Yeah. I think you say Whitewater won the decade. And it's probably because they got back to the Stag Bowl uh, again this season. I tell you, I'm going to go off the board for this a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to say that the general Division Three fan won the decade. We ended Ooh. the aughts with the beginning of that Mountain Union Whitewater run where, you know, they had a stranglehold on the Stag Bowl. Nobody else could get in. Right. 
Um, and, you know, it didn't look great for parody or for anybody else having a shot. Uh, but then, you know, in the latter half of the decade, you've got these uh, the, the final five years of the teens where you had three national champions and you had five teams, six teams. I just can't count at this point who, who played in St. Thomas, yeah. Mount Union, Mary Harden, Baylor, Oshkosh. And North Central. North Central, Whitewater. Whitewater. Yeah, so that's six teams that played in the Stag in those uh, in those five years, which is you know it's obviously not fantastic parity. It's not like you know what we've seen in Division Two in the post Grand Valley, post Northwest Missouri State years. Um, but I think it's just so much better right now to be a Division Three fan and be a fan of you know one of the other 246 teams besides Mount Union and Whitewater than it was at the beginning of this decade. And so that's why I'm kind of going off the board and saying I think that we as general Division Three fans kind of won the teens. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 271, released on January 21st of 2020. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout this offseason. There's lots of things we will talk about. We will talk about coaching changes. We'll talk about the upcoming 2020 schedules as they get released. We'll talk about the people who have pro prospect potential for the 2020 NFL draft to get picked up as free agents. All of that you can find on d3football.com here over the course of the next couple months. If you like this podcast, you know how these things work, right? You rate it in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, Spotify, any of those places, iHeart Podcasts, uh, any place you can get podcasts to help other football fans find it. We really appreciate those reviews. You can reach us to talk more about Division 3 football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division 3 sports. Did you know? Yes, you can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music and a lot of the other music used in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to our guests, Adam Turr, Aaron Keen, and Jordan Neal, as well as sports information directors Chris Mitchell and Mike Ezekiel for their time and assistance on this edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. We're in off-season mode here in Division 3 Football and on D3Football.com, but you can find a new podcast from us in this feed each month. Thank you, Thank you so much, everybody.